Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. My guest is Dr. Tom McCaskill, or Dr. Exit as he's known. He's the go-to guy when it comes to exit strategies. His experience includes multiple startups in the UK and the USA, raising venture capital twice, undertaking two acquisitions and strategic trade sales of three other businesses. He's an author of 30 books covering growth, capital raising, selling a business, designing an acquisition strategy and angel investing. While his work is primarily with high growth enterprises, he's happy to share his wisdom with solo and small businesses and joins us today from his base on the Gold Coast. Hello to you, Tom. Hi, I'm look, glad to be here. That's good. Thank you. So look, our topic today is planning your exit. And it's true to say that from the research that we've sort of run every couple of years with our audience at Flying Solo, there's a rather alarming percentage of them that really have no kind of exit strategy. It's more my exit is that I'll just shut up shop and stop working. Um, now, is this a great missed opportunity, do you think? Um, absolutely. In fact, it's not a surprise because even when I work with entrepreneurs in businesses which are slightly larger, um, they also don't have an exit strategy. I think people get involved in business and they're just simply executing day after day after day, solving you know the problems of the day mm. without taking into account that there should be an end game, mm. there should be a purpose at the end, whether it's to sell the business or to retire or to hand it to your employees. But there should be some way of realising the time and effort and the risk that you've taken to get to a business to a certain point. Sure. And, to, and in your experience, and I, d- I totally understand that most of the time you are dealing with bigger businesses, and I'm sure you've come across a number, you know, Australia, we're, we're, we're la- dominated by people working by themselves, and a large percentage of those, over 70% are service businesses. So, you know, there's plenty of people out there that are earning a crust, selling their, their expertise for a fee. Do you think that um, that most of those businesses or a good chunk of those businesses could actually be creating value that they're simply not seeing? And if so, where, where do they start to look? I think that every business that's uh, generating revenue uh, has the possibility of an exit. And I think the big misunderstanding here is it's not what the business does for you. So it's not the revenue and profit that you're generating. It's actually what the business can do for someone else, someone Mm. that being the buyer. Now, if the buyer, the right buyer, can exploit more from the business than you are, then clearly it has value to them. And I guess the key here is to think like a buyer and then say to yourself, who could exploit this business in the best possible way and therefore what's it worth to them? 
Mm, okay, and I remember you know, I'm reading one of your books at the moment, the um, Ultimate Exits book, which I just find fantastic, and it's got me seriously thinking about, you know, as you say about the buyer. What's what is is somebody likely to be buying this business? What is it they're really looking for? And then in that book, you talk a fair bit about actually designing your business with a very specific buyer in mind. And clearly that's, that's, that's a bit of a process, but is that, is that the way that you work or you've seen a number of businesses work where they literally design the sale to a particular business or sector? We did some interesting research in Scotland uh, some years ago with a Scottish entrepreneur and we interviewed serial entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is that the first business they sold, they sold on an EBIT multiple, that is a, a multiple of net profit. But as they did the next business and the one after that, by the time they got their fourth business, they had worked out who the buyer was in advance hmm. and they had built a business specifically to sell to that buyer and it was always sold as a strategic exit. Hmm. Well, at that, at that point, I wonder whether I could just ask you uh, to explain perhaps in in, in layman's terms, you're, the, the distinction that you make, because in, in the book that I'm reading, you talk about financial exits, you talk about strategic exits. Could you just give us a differentiation between those two, a definition of those two? Sure. The simple explanation is that a financial exit is where you sell a business to a buyer that will predominantly run the business as it is, uh, will not integrate it into any other business, nor take advantage of the business in any other larger corporation. With a strategic exit, what you're doing is you're looking for a very large corporation that will take your product or your service or your people or your location and exploit it on a very large scale. Mm. So the best way of thinking of a strategic exit is to think of a half a dozen guys in white coats working in a laboratory developing a drug where they have absolutely no revenue whatsoever, but they've discovered something of momentous size and they will sell it out to you know, a giant pharmaceutical company that will exploit it in the tens, if not hundreds of millions. Yep. And yet there we had a company that had no revenue and no profit. So the difference is that if you're operating a business which is just turning over day to day, executing, making a reasonable revenue, and you expect the buyer will come in, take the business off your hands and continue executing the same business pretty much in the same way, mm. that's a financial exit. Okay. So, but, yeah. Yeah. But, when, but when a big corporation comes along and says, oh, my God, look at that technology you've got or look at that piece of software, look at that medical device you've got, you know, we have 10 million customers that, mm. could, that could take this quickly, um, you know, we're willing to pay you, you know, 20 times revenue for your business because you know, we can make a lot of money out of this. Sure. Then that's a strategic exit. Yes. Yeah. But so if I can, I'm going to get you to think really small. Let's imagine we've got a one-person web design business, right? Someone who's literally has built a business, maybe he's got a couple of, um, of freelancers working alongside him or her. That business, is there any way that business, do you think, can move towards a strategic sale or not? Or is that literally just going to be a financial sale? No, without a question, and, and usually what I say to people when I'm working with, you know, sole entrepreneurs mm. is I say to them, let's spend some time looking at what you're good at and let's see whether we can churn some of these services into a product or let's see what you've done with your existing customers and is there something there that you could package up as a product where you can get, you know, higher scalability and, and some deeper intellectual property and then if you can then who wants that and then who can exploit that on a national 
or a global scale. So the idea is always to move towards product, is always to move towards uh, higher scalability yep. and always move towards something that can give a larger company some competitive advantage. Okay, so... All right, so you're you're saying that that absolutely can work then for that individual, um, but perhaps we're not necessarily aiming for a large corporation. But it's got to be somebody who's got deep pockets, clearly, and can can take, as you said, the product or something unique that we've developed and scale it in a way yes. that yeah, okay, and we absolutely have, now. There's nothing to stop someone in the services side doing something similar, but. It's got to be around what I call deep expertise. So if I've got deep expertise in a particular niche market, and let's say I'm a consultant, but there's a large consulting firm that could take that knowledge and with my help, uh, you know, get another 10, 20, 50 consultants working that particular market on a national or global basis, then it's the knowledge then that gives mm. that person strategic value. So just because you're a single operator doesn't exclude you from moving towards a strategic side. Oh, okay, that's that's brilliant. They're very enlightening. And because I so I, I thought when when we did this research on a number of people, their their exit strategy is simply to shut the door, and that's perhaps not a bad option for some people. If you've if you've kind of worked your business nicely for a good few years and you're enjoying it, you're drawing you know a nice living from it, then there's nothing really inherently wrong in that, I guess. But what hopefully what um, people might do as a, as a result of listening to this is just look a little deeper in, in certain areas. So um, one remark... Can I, can I just yeah. come back to that? Please. Because there are certain type of businesses that you can't transfer, that you can't exit. So, so in my particular case where I've got very deep expertise in exits uh, built up over many, many years, I would have great difficulty finding someone to take over that consulting because they would have to have another, you know, 10 or 15 years in the mergers and acquisitions space, but also have the knowledge that I've accumulated over that time in some very difficult niche markets or difficult problems. So in my particular case, I would say I probably can't find a buyer mm. and therefore I'm best to exploit the business and have a good time while I'm doing it on the understanding that I will simply close the door. Yeah, okay. So there are some... There are some businesses that you simply won't find a buyer for because they're so unique and they're tied into either the personality or the knowledge or the qualifications or the customer base of a specific person. Mm. Okay. And interesting because I was listening to a podcast yesterday knowing that I was interviewing you today and uh, that was a, a guy not didn't sound dissimilar to yourself in terms of experience. And then I think what he did is in the last couple of years, and I realized that you've you've kind of bought and sold all the businesses you want to buy and sell. So I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here. But with this particular guy, what it looked like he'd done is actually used his the experience that he had to develop a software tool that then allowed um, multiple businesses to gauge their saleability. I think it was called the saleability index or the exitability index or something. So that's, again, presumably that falls neatly back into what you were saying. That's developing a product out of your skill set. It's actually called productizing knowledge. Mm. Now, productizing knowledge could be putting the expertise into a product or it could simply be developing a documented process or a training program that, that other people can use in order to sell that expertise. But, but it's absolutely right. I mean, that, mm. that's a classic way for the, for the sole expert, the sole consultant to, to find a home for their knowledge and get some extra price for it. Mm. Okay. So um, 
as you kind of travel around now, and I and, and you know, I know you you move between your base and you um, move around the country a fair bit as well. We 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 hear all these statistics of particularly of baby boomers who are looking to sell their businesses. I'm not sure what the stats are at the moment, but it's an awful lot of businesses, more than we've ever had on the market. What's the kind of what's the forecast for what do you, what do you think is the the likely outcome for most of those businesses? Because I mean, they're not people necessarily that are going to be terribly um, astute or capable at um, at exiting in the way that you're talking. I guess this does mean there's just going to be a whole lot of businesses closing their doors, isn't it? Well, let's let's just take some simple data. So mm. we've probably got twice as many people exiting businesses as we have buyers. Right. So so even on the basis that let's assume all of these businesses are really good businesses, there's simply not enough buyers. Mm. So the person who is going to be successful in selling their business has thought about it, has prepared the business, um, has done some things inside the business to make it attractive to a buyer and then has gone through, you know, a systematic process of looking for buyers and creating value for a buyer uh, in order to get an exit. Those people who haven't done the preparation, haven't thought about it and wake up one day and say, gee, I need to sell my business for, you know, whatever reason, there's there's almost no chance Mm. that they're going to get anything like a reasonable value for business, if any value at all. Sure. Where do those where do those latter businesses go? Just to one of these people that sells businesses, is that what you do? You go and list your business and hope somebody buys it. Um, you can simply go to a business broker. Um, yeah. All they'll do is it's a bit like, you know, selling a used car. They'll just simply you know put it into the market and hope someone comes along. Mm, okay. Bleak. All right. So. Um, the just taking going going back to this other point a moment ago, where where you're saying that designing a process, or a, a systematic process, was I think the terminology you used. What does that really look like? I mean, um, so let's say we've we've decided. All right, here's this is this is a potential buyer for my business. This kind of sector is a potential buyer. What steps do does that business then take? They literally just kind of get on the phone and go, "Hey, my business is in a good shape for you to buy it." How do you start the kind of courting process? Um, you don't start the courting process until you've done a lot of homework. So okay. one of the things that you want to do at the start is you need to work out what is the potential in your business for the, the buyer. Mm. And, and that might mean that you need to look at the business as it is and say, what is holding my business back? What's the constraint? What's the problems? What are the hassles? What are the excess costs? In other words, what's keeping this business from creating more value? Mm. And, and are there some things that I can put in place in the meantime over some months where the business then becomes more attractive for the buyer? Because one of the things that's, I think, seriously misunderstood is in calculating the value of the business, people look backwards. In other words, they look at what the business has done and what its revenue and profit has been and then assume that that gives them some indication of value. Mm. But in fact, if you went along to buy a business, you're never going to buy the history. You're never going to buy the past. You're only ever going to buy what that business could do for you mm. in the future. I mean, I suppose so, you'll, you'll, sometimes you'll be buying the position that business has in the marketplace, or you'll be, there'll be some kind of value there, won't there, in that, the brand potentially. But only what it's going to do in the future. I mean, yeah, okay. if I'm going to pay you a million dollars for your business, I'm going to have to work out how to get a return on my million dollars, mm. and that is the future. So the question always is that the value in a business is about its future potential to the buyer. Mm. 
So when we've got all of these people sitting around thinking about, you know, what can I do about selling my business, the first thing they need to do is to work out what is the future potential in my business for the buyer and how can I improve that? That's number one. The second thing is who can exploit that potential? So then we go on a search for buyers. Now, the best buyers are the ones that come to you because they understand your business and they look at your business and they go, this is a no-brainer. I can exploit the potential in this business. Now, that means it's just simply not about advertising it and waiting to see who approaches you. Mm. It's about being proactive and trying to work out in advance who are the best buyers, where are they, what are they doing, why would they want to buy my business, and and why would my business be attractive to them, and then getting a few of these into some sort of auction or bid so that I get the best value for my business. Mm. And tell me, do many businesses in, in this sort of scenario, are they working generally with consultants, even small businesses? Or are they doing, because often I think when you, when you say to somebody, where's the value in your business, if you're talking to a very small business, you know, you often just get confronted with a very sort of dull response because the person can't see the value. How do you actually help an individual or a small business see the value? Is that well, an external clearly, thing? Yes. Clearly, you're going to go to someone that understands the financials and understand the market. But yep. you know, if I was to give advice to a very small business on on who to look for, I would say go and find a business broker that specialises in your sector. Mm. You know, if you're selling a hairdressing salon, I would go and find someone that does these in my city, in my state, all over the country. I want to talk to somebody that's already talking to fifty or hundred hairdressing owners who might be interested in expanding with another one. Yeah, okay. I don't want to go to someone who's selling fish and chip shops or marine companies or farms. That's just nonsense. I mm. want to go to someone that actually understands how value can be extracted from my business. And that means they've done lots of this type of business before. Yeah, okay. So find spe- look for a specialist, don't you? Yes. Yeah, okay. And what about when, when you're talking uh, there about looking at the future value in a business? The, the thing that I often come across with people that I speak with is they can't see the future because they, they can't see the business without them in it. And for a lot of um, particularly solo or micro businesses, you know, they are the salesperson, they are the financial person. And take that person out of it, kind of what's left? Yeah, that's when you lose value because if you're looking at a buyer, you know, the buyer's either got to be a a replica of you. In other words, you know, the buyer can come in and do exactly the same job that you can do and therefore, you know, the business can continue at the same level. But if you're an essential part of that business, it's your knowledge, it's your expertise, it's your customer relationships, it's your connections, it's your knowledge of the suppliers or the import or export market, and you take that knowledge away, then there is no business. Mm. And so the first thing that you do when you're looking at selling a business is just say, how does the buyer exploit my business? Well, I've got to get out of it. Right. In other words, I've got to find someone who can come in and, and be the manager in my business who's willing to go and work for the buyer or I've got to document everything in the business, and then I've got to go through a transition process with the new owner so the new owner can come up to speed and so therefore the value is not going to walk out of the business when I leave. Yeah, okay. So that's very much, you know, Michael Gerber's kind of e-myth idea, isn't it, that we've got to, and 
you know, we talk about this a fair bit at Flying Solo is that we, we believe that systems and procedures are essential, even if you're working totally by yourself. But particularly when it comes to sale, that's the thing. You've got to have uh, a design your business in such a way that you can, the business will operate without you in it if you're going to uh, get any great value from it. Yeah, because again, you're, you're thinking about the future. Mm. How's the buyer going to exploit my business? What knowledge does he need of my business in order to do that? And therefore, how do I transfer that knowledge to the buyer? Yeah. And tell me, if a, a small business listening to this now is thinking, right, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to get on the path. I'm going to work out the process. I'm going to design my business to be in a position to sell. And I'm going to find the right person or right sectors to sell to. How long do you think that process takes? It depends how well prepared the business is at the start. Okay. So a business that, that has got well-documented procedures, it's got all of its contracts in place, it's got a good set of financials. In other words, it, it, there's not a lot of stuff to fix before you start the process. And if you've thought about the succession plan or you've thought about how to transfer the knowledge already, then really you can pretty much start straight away. But I would argue generally that most of that has to be fixed before you start approaching potential buyers mm. because what the buyers do is they look at how to exploit the business and they immediately look at the risks. Risks, costs, hurdles, liabilities, missing information, missing intellectual property, succession problems, and all that does is simply reduce the price. Mm. Now, it can actually reduce the price so that the price becomes negative. So in other words, you need to pay me to, <laughs> to take, take it over, over your business mm. because you've left it in such a horrible <coughs> state that I actually can't do anything with it. Mm. Well, it's interesting you said that because I, 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 a couple of weeks ago I traded my car in and bought a new car and I thought I'd worked through everything. I thought I knew exactly what I wanted for my old car. I knew the car that I wanted. I got to the car yard. The first thing the salesman did, he lifted up the bonnet of my car and he said, oh, he said, have you seen how much coolant you've got in there? This, this looks to me like the head gasket is about to blow. He completely, which it wasn't, but he completely undermined my feeling of what my value was. Absolutely, and that's what so buyers do. Mm. So, so clever buyers come in and, and they find problems yeah. and they find risks and they find things that are going to delay the exploitation of the business and thereby doing, they're saying to you, look, we can't exploit this business until all of these things are fixed. This is what's going to cost us. This is how long it's going to take. Therefore, we can't possibly you know, pay you that sort of price. Mm. But since you know this in advance, there's nothing to stop you you know, going around your business and fixing all these things up or bringing someone in and saying, I want you to look at this business as if you were a smart buyer. Tell me what you see. Yep. So as you say, there's, there's, there should be no excuse. We can do this before we start getting into a sales conversation. But as you say, you can kind of bet your life that any potential buyer is really going to be looking very closely at, um, at where they can kind of knock your value down. And, you know, uh, selling a business is, is psychological. It's not just about the numbers. Mm. It's about, you know, how do I feel? How confident do I feel? How do they feel? And also, do I have alternative buyers mm. who can beat it up if they see, you know, strong value in the business? At the end of the day, we can use all of the financial calculations that you want to. But look, it's just like selling a house. Yep. If you've got two determined bidders, it will go way beyond what you think you can get for your house. Mm. 
Yes, true. Nice analogy. So in your experience of businesses that you've seen, do you see a number of businesses that are trading at kind of generally way below their value or way above, or is it just not that black and um, white? Well, when a, bus- when a business is not up for sale and, and they ask a local accountant or a lawyer or someone for evaluation, it, it's always going to be, you know, low-balled. Yeah. Because the purpose for the valuation is not for exit, it's for raising money or going to the bank or doing something else. And that depends on what we call the going concern concept, which is what will this business look like in the hands of the existing owner next year and the year after. Mm. But in the hands of the buyer, it may be a completely different business. So valuation for purposes of exit may be completely different from a valuation for the purpose of raising a back loan. Mm. Good point. Okay. Okay. So, um, look, thank you. Uh, look, I, I hope this will at least get uh, get a few of our, our community thinking further about this topic because I do think that, you know, whenever I'm reading these statistics that talks about the number of businesses that are trying to sell, it doesn't – we don't want to kind of end our joyous business life by – having a you know, slow, painful, uncomfortable, not exactly a death, but uh, I saw it happen to my father where his business sold for nothing like its value because of his health had gone. And this is a very common story, I think, in business, small business as well. As we get to a point where our, our health is deteriorating a bit and then it's um, a bit of a trade sale, isn't it, when that happens? It, it's, too, it's basically a crisis sale. It's, mm. um, and I, I think the answer is whether you think you're going to sell the business uh, whether you get an offer to sell the business or whether you just literally like to work the business until such point where you're ready, the planning for the exit starts today yep. because you cannot determine when you may have to sell the business or when someone may come and make an attractive offer. So the way that's done is you say, you know, what's the end game? And that might be six months, 12 months, five years, 10. It doesn't really matter. What's the end game? What would I like to see happen to the business at the end, and am I making the right changes now? Am I making the right decisions now that add to that value? And it's a great test. So everything you do in your business, you say, will this add value to my exit or does it detract from it? Hmm. And so you're constantly keeping your business in a state where if you had to sell, like you got ill or you went through a divorce or you had to move into state for personal reasons, or you got an offer which was completely unreasonable and you think, gee, I really need to take advantage of this. But if the business is not prepared to sell, what happens is it's a fire sale Mm. or the buyer will find so many problems in the business that you'll have to give it away. And psychologically, once you've made the decision to sell, it's almost impossible to get back on the horse and mm. keep the business going. It's like selling a house, as you said a few moments ago, isn't it? Once the, once the, the board's gone up and the agent's been round, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're metaphorically you're leaving it, aren't you, as well? That's right. Mm. Now, look, Tom, can I ask you, in your, your business career, you've been in a number of businesses. I know in your Ultimate Exits book, you talk about a, a number of the sales that you've done. You go into uh, some depth as to actually how you do it, which is a, a wonderful read. Tell me, in all the all the sort of people and paths that um, that you've you've meandered down, is there any one person who's who's particularly kind of stood out as being, um, you know, a leading light for you? Someone that you've really admired that's impacted your work? I'm not sure whether it impacted my work or it probably impacted my life, and, mm. and the answer is going to be a little strange. <laughs> in, in fact, it's my uncle Paul. Yeah. Uh, when I was a when I was a, a young lad, 
my father died through injuries he had in World War II, mm. and my family split up. Five boys were split up amongst all the relatives. I went to my Uncle Paul in Tasmania, <laughs> and my Uncle Paul was an entrepreneur. He was a sole trader in a, in a, um, a merchandising business, but his, his spirit, his attitude, his ability to look at life and take advantage of things that were going on around him from a business point of view and the balance between his work and his life, I think, inspired me. And I hadn't recognised the impact until I was in business 20 years later Wow! when I realised that he was actually the person that I was uh, emulating. Hmm. And, and it, was, it was his attitude to life and his spirit and his, his uh, loyalty to his staff and his values that, in fact, I realised that I was implementing in my own businesses. How fantastic. And, yeah, and, and to my great sadness, he died about uh, 20 years ago, hmm. and I miss him today. Oh, that's, that's a lovely story. It's remarkable. And it's so interesting, as you say, 20, some 20 years later, you can, it's only then that you start to think about the impact that, um, that he had on you, Uncle Paul had on you. That's a lovely story. Thank you. Well, look, Tom, Tom McCastle, thank you so much uh, for joining us and for sharing your wisdom with the Flying Solo community. If we want to find out more about your work, we can head to Tom McCaskill. That's M-C-K-A-S-K-I-L-L, TomMcCaskill.com. There's a mass of articles. There's uh, examples of his books, of your books, sorry, over 30 books written. And uh, for anyone wanting to get into the whole exit path, um, I strongly recommend give Dr. Exit a visit. So, Tom, thank you very much for spending your time with us. Could I also say that mm. on my uh, alternate site, which is drexit.net, D-R-E-X-I-T.net, okay. yep. there are 10 free of my e-books there. Oh, perfect. And people are welcome to download them, including Ultimate Exits, which is the one that yep, you've that been through. I'm but in loving. fact, there's, a, there's an interesting book there called Entrepreneurs. Mm which is interviews with 99 different entrepreneurs from around the world. And it talks about their journeys and their experiences as entrepreneurs. And I think that your, your audience will just love the stories in that book. Totally fantastic. I'll hurry over there and have a look myself. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 